subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod's blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and this is our first episode of the new year on Sunday, January 10th, 2016. You know, at some point, every member of the Tripods community is faced with the question of whether or not their dog is in pain. In pain. Animals are incredibly resilient creatures, and as pack animals, dogs are especially adept at hiding their pain. We all want our pets to be comfortable but it is often hard to tell when they are feeling pain. And, and sometimes you may not be able to tell the difference between pain indicators or the side effects of, me- of pain medication. And this is why I am very excited and honored to have Dr. Mike Petty join us again today. Dr. Petty is a renowned expert on pain management in animals. He founded the Arbor Point Veterinary Hospital and Animal Pain Center in Canton, Michigan. Dr. Petty is past president of the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management, and he is author of Pain Relief for Dogs, a, a complete guide to identifying and treating pain. Learn more about Dr. Petty and his work at arborpoint.com, and don't miss our review of his new book at amazon.tripods.com. We do have a lot to cover, but first I want to real quickly just thank caninemedicinals.com for making this episode of Tripod Talk Radio possible. Canine immunity is just one of the popular all-natural supplements available at caninemedicinals.com. It is a proven and affordable way to help your dog fight cancer that has helped more than 1 million pets living with cancer. I believe that because we gave canine immunity to our dog, Jerry, after we discovered the lung mess from his osteosarcoma. We noticed a difference in his vitality right away and feel that canine immunity helps contribute to his longevity. Check it out at caninemedicinals.com and tell them Bipod sent you. Now, without further ado, thank you for your patience, Dr. Petty, and welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Hi, Dr. Petty. This is Renee here. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Renee. Thank you. Thanks. Well, well, you have a very exciting year ahead um, because of your new book, um, Dr. Petty's Pain Relief for Dogs. Um, It's being published on February 1st, from what I understand. And we'd love to hear all about it. Please um, tell tell our listeners what inspired you to write this book. Point in my career about uh, four or five years ago <clears throat> uh, suddenly occurred to me after talking to a few dog owners that I had to really reach dog owners or caregivers directly. And uh, the, the reason was obvious. Uh, I think, number one, so many people don't realize that their dogs are in pain. And I wanted to get out to the public a you know a step by step assessment on how to recognize their dogs are in pain, and then of course to follow up with, okay, 
you now realize your dog's in pain, what do you do about it? And there's a lot of stuff out there that you can read in um, uh, dog magazines, on the Internet, whatever. Some of it's good information. Some of it's bad information. Some of it's actually detrimental information. And so I wanted to do a um, kind of a go through the book and um, really outline um, the things that have evidence behind them so that when something is recommended, you, you know that you can pursue that option confidently. But, you know, the other reason is uh, for writing the book was, um, very sadly, too many veterinarians throw a single pain reliever at every single problem that they're presented with. And mm-hmm. it's not their fault. Uh, when we go through veterinary school, I, something, I heard a statistic that the average uh, graduate veterinarian gets about 11 hours of pain management in their entire veterinary school career which is is better than the human yeah well the human side they get an average of something like six or seven so you know we're we're a little bit ahead of the humans but you know only by a couple hours and and it's all inadequate so i felt like people also need to know these options um and come to their veterinarians and say but i read this can you look into it I, you know what, I, I agree with you 100%. There are, um, there are people every day in our community who come to us with a question about pain and managing it and the drugs. And um, I'd say about 95% of the time, um, all of, all of our, our members are given tramadol, and that's it. And that's like, okay, here's the one drug that's going to work for every single problem and every single dog, and we and that's not the case. And so... Um, when your and, book and it's, came out, and I was like, and it's, wow. Yep, and it's absolutely not the case. And, you know, and it's not to pick apart tramadol, but, you know, tramadol, the way it works in people and the way it works in cats and the way it works in horses is that it's converted to an opioid-like metabolite. That doesn't even happen in dogs. Um, it has It has some pain effect, but here's the other thing that many veterinarians don't realize after taking tramadol for 7 to 14 days, the vast majority of the dogs, when you test their blood for it, you can't even detect it. For some reason, they quit oh absorbing gosh. it. So really? people are giving their dogs, yes, people are giving their dogs tramadol for month after month when the reality is it probably didn't do anything after the first week. Oh, wow. That is brand new information to me. I, I had not heard about that. Thank you for sharing that. Um I loved how in your book how you you have different sections on different pain medications. You have things about gabapentin and tramadol and amantadine and amitriptyline and I mean it's it's really it's a it's so informative and the way you wrote it is so understandable. I I was able to just read it as as a total layperson and get what you're saying and have the basic knowledge to be able to talk to my vet about it. So I really appreciate you um, writing in just, you know, plain English for people like us to, to be able to interpret it. Well, well, thanks. That's, that's what I tried to do. I'm, I'm glad it worked. <laughs> it did. It did. And, and people, I'm telling you, Dr. Petty's Pain Relief for Dogs, the book, you need to get it. Every dog parent needs to have this on their bookshelf no joke and don't wait for pain you need to read it beforehand so you can tell if your dog is in pain which is what today's show is all about um our our next question for you is um i i'd like to know um you know 
I understand that vets a long time ago were were taught that animals don't even feel pain. That that you know you were taught that they're they 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 don't feel it like we do. And and I guess that's the reason for the limited um, number of classroom hours on on pain management in vet school. Um, I'm I'm not sure, but can, tell me more. Tell me um, what is your um, interpretation of of do animals feel pain, and and what is the purpose to to pain when they're feeling it? Sure. Well, I think animals feel pain. And honestly, I think for a lot of animals, I mean, you know, let's face it, they have the same nerve endings, they have the same receptors, um, both peripherally, um, you know, out out on the limbs and in the brain. Um, And it's just, it's a known fact that they feel pain exactly like we do. But, you know, pain is more than just um, a sensation. Pain is also how it makes you feel. And, and you know, so if we hurt ourselves, it can really make you feel sad. It can make you feel angry um, dealing with pain. And, you know, we've all been through it. And But with dogs, you know, as humans, we have the cognitive ability to think through this and think, um, you know, it, it hurts today, but it's going to feel better in a week. And we can mm-hmm. get through that. But dogs don't think like that. Dogs, you know, we, we we own dogs. We know that they think about the here and now. They don't think about tomorrow. They don't think much beyond when they're going to get their next meal or their next walk or the next fun thing in their life. So, you know, where we have hope and we know that pain is going to go away, dogs think that this is their lot in life. And for dogs, I think pain is actually worse because they have to, they, they just, they don't have that mental ability to, realize that there's a future without pain or a potential future without pain. And so no hope means they feel it worse. But um, on the second part of the question, um, you know, is there a purpose or a sense to pain? And in, in, in acute pain situations, obviously there really is. So, for example, if there's some kind of an injury, a broken leg, or even a cut on the bottom of the foot, you know, it's a dog's body way of saying that part of me is injured protect it don't use it and mm-hmm. um because it's just it's it, it needs to heal up but when we get into situations where we have chronic pain say arthritis there's no known benefit it there's no reason not to use an arthritic joint in fact there is every reason to use an arthritic joint the more you use it the more the synovial fluid or joint fluid moves around um and the better the joint feels so um, chronic pain is um, has really no known purpose. Wow, you know, I when you're talking about dogs, how how they can't um, they can't understand that you know tomorrow, the week after that, they'll feel better. I mean, just you know, to go through life like that is so sad, and so it really makes me feel such a huge obligation to to give my dog that that relief, right? You know, today, right now, I really want to make sure he's not feeling any pain because that will affect his behavior. And I I recently heard about a study where they um, tried to look at dogs with arthritis to see how it affected their moods and their their overall happiness. And um, the the findings were pretty profound. I mean, yeah, arthritis hurts and it makes you feel pretty lousy. So I, I would like my dog to be as happy as possible. And, and show him that it, life can feel good. So, right. um, now how do you how do you determine if a dog is experiencing pain? 
or experiencing a reaction to pain medications after amputation? That's the biggest question we get in our community, and um, it's just such a, a fine line that I, I'm hoping you can clarify that for us. Yeah, it's going to be hard to know because, honestly, sometimes it's really difficult for me to know. And um, uh, I'm preparing a lecture that I'm giving down in Orlando next uh, Sunday, and I was going over actually some videos that I have taken of dogs um, that look like they're in pain and they're really um, not. They're reacting to the medication. This reaction is called dysphoria. And so it's it's even hard for sometimes veterinarians to understand the difference when they're looking at it. Because from our point of view, it always looks like they're painful. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not until you try to tr- uh, further treat the pain or try to treat the dysphoria um, that you really know what the answer is. So in my clinic, um, when... I have a dog and it's like, is it painful? Well, you know, we try to take a look at it. We palpate the wound and so forth to see. And if the dog doesn't react, then we're like, okay, it's probably dysphoria. But even then, sometimes we don't know. And that's one of the things that that dog owners can probably do at home. But you have to be very careful because if, for example, your dog had surgery and you've taken it home and it's now kind of hulling at the moon and you don't know, is it doing this because it's painful or is it doing because of the opioid it was given? Um, If it was because it's painful and you palpate that wound, you're going to find out in a bad way. (laughs) So you have to protect yourself. It's it's a two-person job. Someone needs to hold your pet's head, and you need to gently palpate the wound or um, the area that you suspect is painful. And if they don't react, then it's dysphoria. And... Um, the best way to deal with that is some kind of sedative. You know, unfortunately, that's not anything anyone's going to have handy at home. Right. Um, but, you know, if it's bad enough, you can you can try to contact your veterinarian after hours or even an emergency service to try to, to get something to handle that. But here's the important part. If it happens once to an opioid, uh-huh. it's going to happen the next time they get it. So you uh-huh. can be prepared the, the following time. In fact, a lot of my patients, and this is kind of a recent change in my procedure, I am starting to send home um, a safe sedative so that if at midnight the dog is suddenly acting like it's painful, I tell them, you know, give this. If he still is acting like it's painful, then he probably is and he needs to be seen. Oh, that is wonderful. What what sedative would you consider to be a good sedative? I mean, are there many? Is there one in particular that you like to use? Yeah, you know, so it depends on the on other issues that the dog might have health issues, but one that's generally effective even at very low doses, especially when pain medications are on board, is a tranquilizer called acepromazine. And we hmm. we you know, around the July 4th, we, we pass them out like they're Skittles because the dogs are freaking out with the fireworks and so forth. But, um, you know, other than the firework time of the year, about the only time I really use them is uh, for exactly the reason I just described. Uh-huh. Now, forgive my ignorance. Um, I thought acepromazine was not something that was um, recommended um, because it's, it, it does certain things where they they know what's going on, but they can't react. Or I mean, I, I've heard some bad things about it. 
Um, can you there, clarify there, that? There are bad things about acepromazine, and it's not my favorite tranquilizer for a lot of situations, but it's a perfect uh-huh. one when there's an opioid dysphoria. But you're, uh-huh. you're right. Um, it, acepromazine doesn't inhibit a lot of things like bite responses and so forth. So a dog mm-hmm. can seem very, very sleepy on acepromazine and then turn around and bite or do something really stupid. So that's that's not my, as I mentioned before, other than for uh-huh. fireworks, it's not really my favorite favorite drug to use. Fireworks okay. and opioid okay. dysphoria. Got it. And, and now here's an interesting um, side effect that we see a lot where uh, some dogs, when they're given um, tramadol, they go bananas and they're neurotic and anxious and panting. And do you see that a lot in your practice? And if so, what is an alternate pain medication that you can give? Yeah. So, yeah, one of the things that might be happening, and, and this has been known to happen even with like one dose of tramadol, tramadol has that one of its effects that it does do for pain is it's something called a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. But, um, and and it's probably way too complicated to I'd take up half the show trying to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, basically, um, if the uh, serotonin reuptake inhibition is too too strong, it can actually cause some problems like excitement, and that's that's a bad thing. It's a warning sign mm-hmm. that they're about to go into something called serotonin syndrome, and that, that is often a, a fatal problem, causing seizures and so forth. So any oh dog God. that takes tramadol and acts excited, that should be the last tramadol that they ever look at. Um, alternative, wow. there's lots of stuff out there. You know, I mean, we have the NSAIDs. We have a new class of um, drugs coming out called piperant class drugs, um, they're probably getting released this year that act like NSAIDs, really? but they're much, much safer. Yes. Um, oh, good. And, oh, uh, good. And, and, and there's, there's a variety of pain medications that can be used instead of tramadol. Awesome. I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that um, because our own dog had that reaction to tramadol. So um, I'm, I'm glad to hear there are alternatives. Um, and when it comes to medication, you know, not everybody wants to use it. Um, a lot of people want to go a, a holistic route or, or a therapy route. Um, what are some of the, the non-drug ways to treat pain that you recommend for your patients? Um, there's a couple. But I think the first thing I have to say is, is I need to make everyone understand that, that well, I should say I need to, I need to make everyone understand that realize that I understand that there's a big wish to avoid pharmaceuticals and mm-hmm. for good reason. You know, there's side effects, there's costs, there's a lot of other reasons uh, to try to reduce the amount of pharmaceuticals. At the same time, there are a lot of conditions that do need drugs in order to stop the pain. There's just no way of getting around it. But having said that, there's lots of different modalities, things like acupuncture, rehabilitation therapy, what they call physical therapy on the human side, and massage are like three big ones that can either completely manage the pain or it can reduce uh, the amount of pharmaceuticals that have to be added on in order to reduce the pain. So I, you know, I'm a very strong on acupuncture. It's, it used to be kind of hocus pocus, but it's now very evidence-based. There are more studies than a person can read in their lifetime about the benefits of acupuncture on pain. Um, Rehabilitation therapy 
all the time we get animals, um, you know, using a leg with nothing more than, you know, rehab. And rehab includes things like laser therapy and, and massage and electro-stim and, and treadmills and, and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. All those are, are very beneficial. The, the caveat to that is they're all very time-consuming. It's easy to pop a pill. It's a minute of your time. And a lot of people would rather go that route. But for those people that go the more alternative route and are willing to spend the time to bringing their dog in, dropping them off, picking them back up, um, they're, they're usually very, very happy. And those are my, my big repeat customers. Uh, we, we are big believers in rehabilitation therapy. And um, as, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, the Tripod Foundation actually has a program where we are, we are paying for people's first consultation. You walk in that clinic door and you show us your receipt for the first visit, and we will cover that cost. Um, can you tell me what, what happens during that first visit? Um, what, what can people expect? I, I know I spring, I'm springing this question on you, so I apologize, but I'd love to hear No, that's that. okay. So d- during the first visit, you know, it's, it's kind of comprehensive. And, and don't, be, don't be surprised if, if the cost of that first visit does approach that $200 because, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a lot of time to go through all the old records, um, maybe even get on the phone and speak with the prior veterinarians or uh, people that have worked with the dog. And, um, but also to look at x-rays, possibly take some more x-rays and, um, and do a complete health assessment of the dog. You know, there are some dogs that have underlying heart conditions and you can't put them in an underwater treadmill because they're not going to, they're going to die after three minutes. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that we have to look at and initially tailor the therapy to the dog. And, you know, like the saying goes, the best plans of mice and men, um, when you start that first therapy, oftentimes um, the dog's personality then intervenes and you're changing things up. They don't want to do this. Or the thing you didn't think they would do, they are willing to do and so forth. So it usually takes two or three sessions to really get into the groove um, beyond that first um, appointment. So don't expect too much right away. It, you really have to find, you know, the dog doesn't understand why they're there, and you have to find something that makes it fun for them. And honestly, once you do, it becomes a very easy job. You know, I, I kind of pity our poor uh, physical therapy counterparts because who wants to go to physical therapy? But most of our dog patients, they come in wagging their tail, <laughs> <laughs> they know they're going to get a lot of treats. <laughs> right, right. Can you tell me how does somebody find a, a qualified rehabilitation therapist? What uh, what is your uh, criteria when you when you tell somebody other than you, obviously? But um, what should people look for? Okay, so I think the first thing I have to say is owning an underwater treadmill is not rehab. You know, physical <laughs> therapy, rehabilitation therapy is really mostly about. Uh, the, the relationship between the therapist's, the therapist's hands and the dog. And that is 90% of the work, the hands and the dog. Um, so it's a lot of people go out and buy underwater treadmills and say, okay, now we're a therapy clinic. And, and I don't even own an underwater treadmill, but yet I successfully rehab dogs all the time. Um, so 
that that's the first caveat. The second is see if they're certified. There's two certifying um, organizations in the United States. One is the Canine Rehabilitation Institute, and the other one is the University of Tennessee. And they will have a list of their graduates. And in the back of my book, in one of the appendixes, there's actually um, a website link that will take you directly to either one of those lists and will we'll direct you to people that have their certification. There is also a third category, which is relatively new, and that is veterinarians who are now um, boarded specialists in what they call sports medicine and rehabilitation. So that is even one step beyond those of us that have gone and gotten the rehab certificate. The, what is the uh, the acronym for their um their qualification is, is oh, it's it, really um, confusing it's um it? it's called uh it's the american academy of sports rehabilitation and therapy i believe is what it That's is a long one okay yeah <laughs> we'll be sure to cover that in our news blog um but but thank you for for explaining that because there are a lot of people who rush out to the first clinic with a water treadmill and um and I'm I'm really happy to hear your your explanation for our listeners. Um you know when it when it comes to rehab um they you know it's just it's so amazing for tripods and I I'd, I'd love to hear what are some of the more effective exercises that you use um for new amputees and what what should we keep in mind when we're when we're doing this kind of program? Um so I guess um I can't answer that on a podcast, honestly, um, because it, it, it's it's too complex. There are exercises that are suited to um, specific conditions, but I actually mm-hmm. in my um, my book I have an entire chapter on home exercises. Yeah, I loved that. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, and so there's pictures in it, and then I have a kind of a table in there that says, okay, if you know, your dog has this condition and um, you get the okay from your veterinarian, and again, for reasons like cardiac issues and so forth, mm-hmm. then these are kinds of exercises that you can do at home. And that's probably the more complex part of my, my book, um, and you have to, like, kind of really pay attention to the descriptions and, and follow the rules very carefully. So mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to either, you know, buy or borrow a book if they decide they want to do um, the home exercises. Now I, I would say go buy the book because it's um, yeah. it's awesome. The photos, I mean, there's there's a lot of really great um direction in there. Um I, I learned a lot. So yes, people, you need this book. Um and um, you know, I just uh I, I wanna say I, I have learned so much since you've been out there and, and getting the word out about what you do and, and the benefits of, of rehab therapy. Um how can we learn more? What um, what kinds of resources would you recommend if we, other than your book, you know, what, where can people access information okay. um, to help manage? Yeah, so, so there is the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management, of which I was, I'm the past president, and mm-hmm. um, their website is ivapm.org. And if you get on there, they have tons of information about assessing pain in your your pet, um, where to find uh, people that have been trained through the that have been certified as pain practitioners through the IVAPM, um, 
and um, that's a really good starting place. The other thing is, um, although my website isn't quite up yet, and we're hoping to have it up by the time the um, the book is out, um, is uh, drmikepetty.com. And we're going to have additional resources on that, including some um, maybe some home pain scales and things like that for both dogs and cats. So this is a brand-new website, Dr. Mike Petty, and it's drmikepetty.com. And if anybody ever has a question, you can get me a hold of me on Twitter at uh, MikePettyDVM. Uh, yes, you are very, very approachable and, and reachable. We, we can't tell you how much we appreciate that because we – we are not vets, and so we rely on folks like yourself to educate us about the latest findings and, and how to live life with a, a tripod animal because it's not always so cut and dry. You know, a lot of times we get sent home from the vets and they tell us, let your dog go be a dog and, and enjoy life, which is very true. But on the other hand, um, the other day a member, a member came to us and her dog um, – is looking at a, a possible um, CCL tear because the vet told her to let her dog just go enjoy. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's awful, and I, I really wish there were more vets like you out there who are there to tell people, wait a minute, you know, let's let's take things slowly. Yeah. Um, I, I really I just, appreciate I love that. To, no, really, it's it's the truth. We need more like you. Um, do you have any last words about pain management that you want to leave our listeners with? We have about a minute. Yeah. So real quick, two things. One, i got to get across, dogs don't limp because they are old. They also don't quit playing, socializing, or wanting to do their favorite things because they are old. If they quit that thing, it usually is because they're painful. The other one is you're not alone. Don't give up looking for veterinarians that can help you. See my website. I'll try to help you. Um, you know, we'll have some instructions. I'll answer emails. I'll do whatever. But I want to see every dog and every dog caretaker that wants the treatment for their dog to get the proper treatment. And that's that's what this book's about. That's what my professional career is about. Thank you so much, Dr. Petty. It, this has been so informative, and um, we're going to go ahead and, and post a link to the show. And we we can't thank you enough, everybody. I hope you learned as much as we did. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for your time. What a wealth of information. Listeners can learn more about your work at arborpoint.com and read our review of your new book, Dr. Petty's Pain, Le- Pain Relief for Dogs, at amazon.tripods.com. Until next time, join the discussion about cancer and pets, amputation, recovery, and care in the Tripods blogs, forums, and live chat at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.